Our next series is the birds, okay? No, not really. <laughs> now, if you don't know what that's all about, Elijah and what the bird connection is, come next week. We're going to be talking about a guy in the Old Testament that uh, has more to do with you than you think. Uh, has more to do with where you are in life. If you live a normal life and if you feel overwhelmed, uh, out of control, uh, need some help, know how to be depressed in four easy steps, uh, Elijah's the man. And we're going to be talking about that, but also about the steps we need to take to, uh, to follow God's plan in, that, in regard to that. Uh, this morning, we conclude our series on MADE, talking about this whole thing of how God has made each one of us to make a difference in the world. And this morning, I want to uh, start by talking to you about uh, this summer when I was uh, working out one day. I do that occasionally, uh, not as often as I should. But uh, I was watching TV because sometimes when I work out, there's a TV in front of me. I turn it on, watch different things early in the morning. And Good Morning America was on. They were doing this series this, this summer. Diane Sawyer introduced it. And, of course, you know, she's a soothing voice and everything. And, and she was talking about this whole thing of happiness. That was the whole series. It was back in June of this summer. And she was talking about happiness. And the reason they were doing this uh, series on happiness is because... Um, a lot of psychologists and studies and psychologists and sociologists and studies have shown that over the last, since the 1950s, the increase of depression amongst adults and teenagers has increased tenfold. Uh, and they were asking the question, why? And then part of the week, as they talked about each day, part of the series was talking about how do we deal with depression? How do we deal with, how do you, how do you help people to be happy? And the question... Uh, was kind of come about in a unique way that week as they talked about happiness. They showed all kinds of solutions. One talked about the importance of sports and activity in your life, that as you exercise, it increases endorphins in your life, and you, get, you, know, you feel happier and when there's sunshine, things like that. Uh, talked about the value of doing things that you love to do. It talked about the importance of uh, genuinely laughing on a regular basis, how important that is. Just watch stuff and do, you know, do stuff that makes you laugh. It talked about, uh, even one doctor, I, I remember this because I thought it was totally absurd. Uh, one doctor even said that, uh, that he was, uh, could, could vaccinate people against unhappiness. And I was going, what? You guys are crazy. You know, if you could do that, it'd be like the people, any of you go yesterday to Woodford County, to the health department between 9 and 12? Anybody admit they did that? You know, nobody did, just me? Okay, yesterday in the morning they were having a, a, a H1N1 clinic uh, over there at uh, Woodford County Health Department. And uh, the reason I went was because I help out sometimes with my grandson who was uh, under six months old and that was one of the health giver uh, people thing. So I thought I'll go over and get me an H1N1 vaccine. Bad idea. Got there, 9.10, started at 9 o'clock. There was over uh, probably three to 400 people in line already to get the vaccine. I'm going like, oh, well, forget about that one. Let's go home. But I thought if somebody really could give you a vaccine to vaccinate you against unhappiness, there would be a line that was like 10 times that long uh, for people to do that. And I thought that was just crazy. Now, I found that in, in, in intriguing, this study that, uh, or this, this series this summer, on Good Morning America, intriguing because it's something that we constantly struggle with, this whole thing of how do you be happy? How do you find joy in your life? And, and everything that seemed to be in the television show uh, that week was about the external things that happen in our lives and how we need to deal with those things. Now, the Bible 
so often talks about this, this whole thing of happiness and really talks about joy. But joy is a difference. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is, is a lot to do with external things. Joy is some kind of internal type thing that happens in our life regardless of circumstances because the Bible tells us constantly we see this connection in the Scripture between joy and even difficult circumstances in people's lives. For instance, uh, the David in the Old Testament, as he's writing in Psalms, he's gone through a difficult time. And David, some Psalms are kind of downer, some Psalms are up, you know. And he talks about in Psalm 37, he says, delight yourself in the Lord. This is right after he's had a tough time. In uh, Philippians 4, 4, Paul writes from a jail cell. He says these, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, in James chapter 1, it says this, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. It's kind of like joy in trials. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Uh, we don't usually think of that connection there about how we do that. And even in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about Jesus, and it says this about Jesus, that after he went to the cross and he was crucified, it says he did this for the joy that was set before him. There's this connection between joy and, and, and these struggles that people go through. Some of the major characters of the Bible, they discovered uh, a joy and a happiness and a peace uh, that surpasses understanding a happiness is not just dependent upon external circumstances, but in some ways it was independent of those circumstances, totally independent of those circumstances. Uh, particularly this morning, I want to look at one person in Scripture that's, that I've already mentioned, the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn over with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to look at, at the Apostle Paul. And let me say something about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was probably considered, I would consider him probably one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time. Not only did he influence hugely the people in his day and age, help plant dozens of churches, um, he also has a tremendous impact on our lives because, uh, you know, a huge portion of the New Testament uh, was written by the Apostle Paul. And as we look at the books that he wrote, it, it influences our lives as well. And when you look at the ministry and the life of the Apostle Paul, particularly the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians, which we're going to look at in a minute, Paul was a guy, if you look at his life, who had been, when he wrote this book of Philippians, he'd been a guy that had been wrongly accused. He was, he was imprisoned. Or, or, or under house arrest, he was, uh, he was in this situation where everything in life was out of control. But in the midst of this, he writes about joy. And, and even when you look at what he has to say, he writes to the, Philipp, the believers in the city of Philippi because they were all asking. They'd heard about Paul being imprisoned, and they began to ask questions. You know, if, I don't know if you've ever been in prison or not, but hopefully you haven't. But if you have, probably somebody, everybody's been talking about. You know, if somebody's in prison, oh, they, they really do that? wonder if they did that. wonder if Paul really did what they, th they say he did. And so there was all this talking about, even his reputation was being uh, damaged at this point in time. And there's this buzz floating along, some positive, some negative. And Paul writes the letter to the Philippians to address all the stuff and to encourage people, uh, the followers of Christ in that city. And in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, which is where we're going to start today, this is rich for so many of us in our lives today and in our culture because he says these things. He says, because of this, because of what? Because of my imprisonment, because of my being arrested, because of the situation I find myself in, which is not necessarily a good situation, because of this, I rejoice. He starts off that way. And then he says this, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I, that it will, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice he says twice, I'm going to rejoice. In this circumstance, in this, what we would call a bad situation, 
He says twice that I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to have joy in the midst of this, this bad circumstance, even though he's imprisoned. Now, this morning, I want to talk about three lessons that we can learn out of this situation with Paul that will help us to understand how we approach life so that you and I can have the joy that God wants us to have. I don't know how you view God, whether you feel you know, like God's this, There was a book years ago, Your God is Too Small, and it, that book years ago talked about the different views we have of God, but sometimes people think that God is this kind of guy in the sky who, who you know, just doesn't want you to have any fun. He is kind of like this, this, this eternal policeman you know, that's always saying, no. No, no, you know, like a bad parent. You know, all we can ever say is no. You know, we need to try to encourage. But God wants us to have, it says in Scripture, God wants us to have joy. That does not mean that God's going to take all the difficult circumstances out of your life. But he does want you to have joy and learn how to have joy in the midst of this. And Paul learned this, no, learned this incredibly well. So I want to talk about three things, three lessons that we can learn from Paul when it c- comes to discovering uh, the joy that is that, uh, in life The first lesson is this. We've got to rejoice in God's control. Paul learned this lesson so well. We've got to rejoice in God's control. Paul rejoiced in the fact that God was in control even when he found himself in difficult circumstances. For a minute, let's just imagine this. Imagine what it would be like to be Paul, to be separated from friends, to be uh, literally uh, from family under arrest, some friends. You know, I don't know about you guys. You ever been through a tough time? And, and, how, and you know how people react to you in tough times? In two ways. Some people, you know, come in and help. They're, they're that, but there's some friends, even close friends sometimes, that in a tough time, what they'll do is they'll push away. They're afraid to deal with anything. They're, because you know why the reason that people so often don't help in tough times? Because they don't have an answer. They, you know, everybody thinks you have to have an answer. Like if I'm going through a tough time, I have to come and help you. And the way I can help you is give you the answer. Well, literally, sometimes all we need is people to be there, to be connected with us in the tough times. But so often in tough times, uh, it, it, some people, you know, respond and help out. Other people are just afraid to get involved. Sometimes tough times are lonely times. And I'm sure there was a lonely time for Paul because he was under this, uh, this kind of house arrest and he was going through this tough time. His friends could come visit him, but many of them didn't. Some did, not many. Not only did he ha- was he had this loneliness, but he also couldn't do the things that he loved to do. I don't know what it is that really floats your boat, really excites you about things you love to do. We talked about passion and some things you love to do in your life. I don't know. We could you know, have a survey this morning. You like to do this, but it really doesn't matter. Just think about what it is you love to do. If you could not do that for a period of time, maybe several months in your life, how would it affect you? If you couldn't do the things that you really love to do. Now, Paul, we know from Scripture, was a people person. He was a guy who loved to be with people. He loved to connect with people. He loved to speak to people. He loved to debate with people. He just had this, this great attitude about doing things. That was his aptitude in life. But the thing is, is because he was under arrest, under the situation, under house arrest, he couldn't do the things that he loved to do. So that's the situation we find Paul in. Another thing about Paul in this situation is he hardly had any privacy. He had no personal space. Paul had a Roman guard uh, chained to him, literally chained to him 24 hours a day, around the clock. No personal space. I don't know about you in personal space, but you know, even though I am a people person and I like to be connected with people, there's sometimes that I like to have personal space. As often as not, sometimes at lunch, I mean, some of our staff, when they go to lunch, they always go with somebody. 
Sometimes I leave it. Sometimes I've been talking to people all day and on the phone, counseling and doing stuff. And at lunchtime, my time is to chill out. So I go to a restaurant with a newspaper or a book and I'm eating by myself in the farthest corner where nobody can see me. You know, or I'll do stuff like I need some privacy sometimes. Or I'll come home and, and, and Vicky will ask, how was your day? And I'll say, well, you know, and, and she knows I kind of need some chill out time. Privacy. Paul had none of that as an option. He was chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. And in spite of all of these circumstances that he was in, in this situation, Paul says, I rejoice. Now think about that. His attitude, his, his joy in his life had nothing to do, nothing to do with his external circumstances. Because he understood that God was in control. He, he saw the bigger picture. And if you think that's not enough, let me give you a little bit more outline about Paul's life. If you think Paul just had a really cool life, this was just one little kind of you know, circumstance that wasn't really, uh, you know, it was kind of out of the ordinary. Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about all the difficulties. He gives kind of an overview, uh, a resume of his difficulties. He says in chapter 11, verses 23 and following, he says, let me just share this with you real far, real quick. It's not on the screen or anything. He says, first of all, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. And now why he says it that way? Why can he say I've been been whipped 39 times, five times? Because in that culture, the 40 lashes were considered the the ultimate, uh, the punishment for something. Many times people, you know, with 40 lashes and it was brutal lashes with a whip, many times people wouldn't survive it. So he said, I've been near death. I've been beaten near death five times in my life. Not just one time, five times. He says, three times I've been beaten with rods. Uh, Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles. He keeps going, in danger, in danger, in danger, about all these different things. He was in danger a lot. He said, I've labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And I think about this, and I read this, and I go, man, my life is easy. I don't know about you, but, you know, compared to Paul, my life is easy. All the tough times I've been through is easy compared to that. I haven't had any of that stuff go on in my life. And all of a sudden, I feel a little bit better <laughs> when I compare myself to Paul. This guy had learned in hard times to rejoice because he understood, ultimately, that God was in control and God had a plan. And he says this a little bit further in Philippians, actually before this passage in Philippians that I read earlier. He says this, because of my chains, God is working and there are people who are speaking more openly and more confidently about the love and the goodness of God because of where I am. He recognized that because of God was in control, God had a plan for his life, then in a real sense, even the tough times he was going through, he could rejoice in because he saw it being a part of what God wanted to happen. God was in control. Now, when we think about all of our life, all of us, in a sense, have some chains in our life. Maybe not literal chains, but some people, because, you know, the statistic I gave you a while ago, there's a tenfold increase in depression uh, since the 1950s in adults and teenagers, which basically are the group in this room. That means that some of you probably have been through that, are in that, or will go through that. 
And the issue is that can become a chain in your life if you let it. It can be something that drags you down. Uh, some people, it maybe was something because of their past. In, in our men's fraternity right now, the thing that we're doing on Wednesday mornings with men, uh, one of the things we're talking about, we're unpacking this semester in men's fraternity, is this whole thing of about all the p- stuff in our past that, that tends to drag men down, not help us to stay focused on what God made us to be, be as men. Sometimes we have these things in our past, in our childhood, in our growing up time, or somewhere in the past that causes us to drag us down. They become not literal chains, but chains in a real sense that drag us down. Uh, some of you, <laughs> I had this happen. Uh, some of you, you may feel like moving to Peoria was a chain, you know? I don't know where you moved from, but, uh, but some of you, I, I had the strangest thing happen to me for several times. I've had this happen dozens of times. People know that I moved here from Virginia. You almost think Virginia is the promised land. Some of you do because of the way you've said stuff to me. Because somebody cast me several times and says, well, Jen, Virginia, where'd you live? I lived in Roanoke Valley. Where, where's that? It's kind of right next to the Blue Ridge Parkway. Five minutes from my house in Virginia, I could be on the Blue Ridge Parkway and the Appalachian Trail. Five minutes. Do I miss that? Yep. I do. I do miss it. But, you know, this is not that bad of a place, folks. Because sometimes people come to me and go, why in the world did you, this is exactly what they think, why in the world did you move from Virginia to here? Like, gosh, man, this is a terrible place to live. I don't think it's that bad. No, it doesn't have mountains. It's kind of flat. But, you know, it's got good people and enjoy doing what I'm doing here. But the thing is, sometimes, maybe for you, your chain is you had to be transferred here and you came from somewhere else. And the, the reason it's a chain is because you don't have connections with family and friends anymore from there. But see, we can have all kinds of chains in our lives, things that, that drag us down if we, if, if we allow them to. We all have them. Now, Paul, the question that Paul, Paul's life puts on our life is this. Will we look at the obstacle of those chains or will we look beyond them about how God can use them and use the situation to bring glory to himself and to help us to grow up and to become all that he wants us to be? How do we approach the chains? That's how Paul Paul saw that God was in control, that God had a purpose and a plan uh, for his life. You see, God is not up in heaven freaking out and wringing his hands, going, oh, what are we going to do? You know, God is is in control. You may not see it. I may not see it. But the fact is, you know, if if we understand that God is a lot bigger than we are and God is in control and he has a plan for everything, it kind of gives us a focus. It doesn't mean that all the external circumstances are the things that control our happiness and our joy. In Philippians 1.19, it talks about two things that, gave, that, that helped Paul along the way uh, in his life in regard to being anchored uh, in, in understanding that God is in control. He says in Philippians 1.19, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. How could Paul say that? That all the bad stuff that's happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That I have complete confidence in God. He says for two reasons. Number one, he says because, because of the prayers of other people. I don't know if you've done this before, but you need to do it. You need to have other people pray for you. We are not an island. The reason we're a church and we're, we come together as a community is to encourage one another. On the back of your uh, welcome card, I don't know if you ever noticed that or not. You probably already turned it in. Uh, but the welcome card on one side gives you, you know, some places to check. On the other side, it says, uh, do you have some uh, uh, prayer requests? You know what we do with those prayer requests when uh, you, tur- you turn them in? We throw them in the trash can, right? No! 
No, that's not what we do. What we do is we take those and we put them on the email list and we have a bunch of people in the life of the church who have committed to praying for you whenever you have a need. Paul says that gives him hope because here's the community of believers praying for him, giving him encouragement along the way. That's one thing. And, and prayer is important. We're going to talk in January as we start the new year this year. We're going to have a series for the whole first month of January about prayer and priorities, about how we need to start the year on our knees before God. If you really want to have a great 2010, the first place you need to be is not reading a book. It's not, you know, doing, uh, you know, watching Oprah or whatever. It's, it's being on your knees before God and asking God, okay, this year, God, what is the priorities you want in my life? And how do you want me to be involved in those? And so we're going to talk about the importance of prayer the first month of the year in the new year. But Paul understood that was hugely important. And secondly, he says, uh, not only the prayers, but he says the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It says in Scripture clearly, this is not a gray area, it says that when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, when you say yes to Jesus, he, he comes into your life, his Spirit comes into your life. It's not like, it's kind of mystical, but at the same time it says he gives you the power, he gives you comfort, he gives you direction in your life if you allow him to work in your life. He gives you a power source. And so Paul says these two things are things that, uh, that allow you, that allows him to stay on track, to understand that God is in control. And matter of fact, in the Old Testament, uh, back over and there's another prophet named Zechariah, in Zechariah 4, 6, it says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty, you will succeed because of my spirit. Not because you're so smart, not because you know, you know 500 Bible verses, not because of anything else, but my spirit will direct you and guide you if you'll allow it. In your life. So Paul had this, this real solid understanding. And the reason he could, in the midst of all his troubles, say that, say that you know, I'm going to rejoice is because he understood, number one, that God was in control. Number two, and I've already mentioned this as well, another thing he's, we see in Paul's life, he rejoices because he understands he's living out God's purpose in his life. We've talked, this whole series, we've talked about this whole thing that God has given each of us a shape. Spiritual gifts, heart, a passion for certain things, abilities, personality. And he's allowed us to have all kinds of experiences, good experiences, bad experiences, experiences that are educational, experiences that are spiritual, all these different experiences. And he wants to put all these together and he directs us in our life because he has a purpose for our life. We weren't just born to, to live and consume and die. God wants to use us for his greater good, for his greater plan in life. And Paul understood this clearly. Because Paul says, you know, this is the second thing that he understands. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be chained to a Roman guard all day, every day? I can't. I mean, apparently in Rome, there were ten to 16,000 at different times uh, Roman, Roman soldiers called the Praetorian Guard. And the thing about them is they had two, two jobs. One was to, was to uh, look over Caesar, the emperor. The other job was to, to guard special prisoners. And so every day, 24 hours a day, every four hours, a new guard would come in and be chained to Paul for four hours. When Paul realized this, he realized what was happening, he could have looked at it as an obstacle, but he saw it as an opportunity. He's going, I wanted to pray. You know, I prayed to God that God would allow me to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with the Romans. And I thought it was going to be preaching and teaching and getting up before people and debating and doing all that stuff. That was his vision. But God had another plan. And God's plan was that it was going to be, you know, allowed him to be chained here unjustly to Roman soldiers 24 hours a day. 
And he probably realized, he says, I may be their captive, but he's, but he's my captive too because he's chained to me and I can say what I want to to him. Can you imagine being a guard? All you hear is about Jesus Christ for four hours in a row. And I'm sure Paul, Paul was not a shy person, as you see in Scripture. His personality, he was a bold person. And the thing about Paul was that we know from history, literally from history, we know that within a few years after Paul's imprisonment there in Rome, a large percentage of the household of Caesar became believers in Jesus Christ. Wonder where that came from. Because the, the, the Roman guards had to go back and report to Caesar. See, Paul saw this as part of his greater purpose in his life. He saw these difficult times as part of God's greater purpose. God had a plan in what he was doing. Look back at what it says in uh, Romans, uh, I mean, excuse me, in Philippians 1, verses 21. It says this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. If I'm going to continue to live, God has a plan for me. Yet... What shall I choose? I I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He says to live as Christ. Literally, the word Greek word as zoe means this is what I live for. What I live for is Christ. I wonder if somebody followed me around with with a video camera 24 hours a day. For a while, what they would say, if, if they want, let you see the video, which had never happened, unless you let me see your video, you know, what's fair. Uh, the thing is, if they did that, follow me around, what would they say I live for? They'd go, oh, okay, Sunday afternoon, Bill lives for sleeping in front of a TV on a football game. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Bill lives for eating because he does a lot of that. Uh, Bill lists for, you know, you just go through the list of all the stuff. You know, what would, what would somebody say that you live for if they followed you around? Would they say for you to live as Christ, that Christ was the focal point of your life? I would hope people would say that about me. But, you know, sometimes that's not always evident. And the thing is, Paul says, he says, this is the focal point of my life. The, my purpose in life is to live for Christ. But he says, you know, to live for Christ... Um, is, is my life. But, he says, to die is gain. I don't know if you ever thought this or not. This is not a morbid thought, I don't think. Because if you understand what heaven is like, sometimes you just, you know, you go through a tough time, you just say, well, man, you know, I wish that God would just come on back and take us all back so I wouldn't have to deal with all this. You ever said that? Don't raise your hand. Um, we do have some counselors in the church, you know, I want to let them handle that. But uh, the issue is, the issue is sometimes, you know, I've thought of that before. I'm thinking, man, let's just get over all this junk be great if Jesus, this was the time, he's going to come back and take us all home so I don't have to deal with all this stuff. To die is gain because as a believer, I believe that when I die, I mean, all my problems are dealt with. You know, I don't have to, the heavens described as a beautiful, perfect place where there's no more pain, no more suffering, all that. That's Paul's attitude. Paul didn't talk that. He believed that. He understood that God had a purpose for this life, but he also had a purpose in a longer, in a longer run as well. And, and so he, and he says that. So Paul describes his own personal philosophy a little like this in Philippians 3. And he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake 
I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. He realized that because he was alive in Christ that death had lost its sting. When you don't worry about death anymore, when you see death as a positive, it doesn't mean you want to, you know, I, I thought that was, then I got, you know, rational again. And then I'm thinking, okay, you know, I don't want to die right now. I do want to live my life fully. But the issue is, is that when we, when we understand that death is not something to be feared, then it changes the, our perspective on life in a lot of ways. I mean, people have said this before, I believe it truly. You're not ready to live till you're ready to die. And that's, that's one of the things we have to understand. And, and, and so, the, you know, could you imagine being a guard uh, chained to Paul when that's his philosophy? You can't do anything that's going to hurt me. Because, well, you know, to live for Christ, I mean, if I, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to talk about Christ. And you're chained to me for the next four hours. But if you want to kill me, that's all right too. Because it's gain. It's even better. I mean, the guards had no chance whatsoever with Paul because that was his attitude. And he rejoiced in that. He was all right with that. He had that attitude. I love the story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I thought it was a great story. Uh, it's it was, it's the, the guy who would, uh, worked at a bank in New York City. He was a banker in New York City. And he had some flowers sent to a competitor who recently moved into a new building. This was going to be a nice gesture. Uh, there was a mix-up at the flower shop with the card that was sent with the arrangement. The card said, with our deepest sympathy. The florist was very embarrassed and apologized, but he was even more embarrassed when he realized that the card that was intended for the competitor bank was attached to a floral arrangement that was sent to a funeral home to honor a deceased person. That card read, congratulations on your new location. I thought, what a perfect card for a believer. I want to use that in a certain funeral message. Anybody like me use that in your funeral? You know, I would love that. I'm thinking about what a perfect testimony. I mean, I don't know if this person was a believer or not, but the thing is, I thought, congratulations on your new location. See, Paul had that attitude. You know, if he died, congratulations on your new location. Probably be on his headstone. Because he understood that God not only had a plan for his life and God worked through his life, but he had a purpose for him, not only here, but for eternity as well. Paul is saying that you can do whatever you want to me, but the, if the worst thing you do is kill me, do it. Because it's all right, because I'm, you know, to die is gain. You see, the question for many of us, the questions are many, but the, some of the questions for many of us is, is this, have we surrendered our lives to God's purpose? Um, can we say to live for Christ, that we live for Christ and therefore to die is gain? You see, when we get to the place where we can do that, that's where joy is. That's where external circumstances doesn't affect you anymore. Oh, yeah, they affect you the day to day. But as far as your joy, your real happiness in life, it's not something that circumstances externally will affect. Another thing that Paul said, and the last thing he said, I think that we learn of this is this, is that Paul, not only did he rejoice in God's control, not only did he um, live out of God's purpose, but he served in God's joy. He served in God's joy. He wasn't a grudging, grudgingly. He saw joy. He saw joy in this. In Philippians 1.25, it says this. It says, he convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. He said, convinced of this, I will remain. I'm going to hang out here for a while, guys. 
You know, I, you know, to die is gain. I understand that. I believe that with all of my heart. But I'm going to hang out here a while longer. And while I do that, the reason for that is because God wants to, you know, through the ministry, through this imprisonment, through all the stuff that I've gone through, God is going to bring about joy in your lives because I, my purpose is not about me. It's about serving you. You know, I remember watching those Good Morning America episodes with Diane Sawyer and that week, and I watched, you know, several days that week, and, and I thought they were really fascinating. But the thing that really irked me was that all through it, it was all about self. Every solution was about self. It was about, about serving yourself, helping yourself, doing this for yourself, doing that for yourself. Nowhere do they talk about the joy that comes in our life from doing God's plan for our life, which means to serve others. I mean, I've heard people even say that they're not Christians, that serving others is a great joy. That was not the solution in any of these people's lives. (laughs) I was thinking about how to wrap this up this morning, and I thought about um, how we approach life has a lot to do with whether we're going to have joy in our life or or not. And sometimes we're kind of like people. The kind of you know we have two different ways that we uh, that we approach life. Uh, it's kind of like how you approach getting into water in a pool. Okay, some of you, some of you, what you do, get close to the edge, stick your toe in, you test it out, oh, yeah. you know, and you're kind of like really ease into the water. Now don't raise your hand when I ask this question. Okay, some of you are like that, right? Yeah, that's the way you approach you know the water. But some of you are like 14, 15-year-old boys. You ever seen them, a bunch of them go to, go to, a, go to a pool, how they get in the water? I wouldn't do, I would, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, they would have leaped, you know, like leap off the stage. And it's like they come, without abandon, they just kind of jump into it. They don't look what they're, you know, they don't even look before they leap sometimes. It's dangerous for them and for other people sometimes, but they just leap into it. The thing is, God wants us to live life, you know, not full of danger, but sometimes it's risky to to serve others. You know why? Because it's messy. Sometimes the safe thing, the safe thing is simply to kind of like, you know, stick your foot in the water. I don't want to do that. But God says that serving others is, is what he has made us for, what he has wired us for. And you will find joy in your life when you serve other people. It's not about you. It's not about me. You know, the whole purpose of this series has been to point out this, that God has made us to make a difference in our world, and how we do that is by serving other people, and we serve God by serving others. You know, I was really excited this morning. Uh, last night we participated in, in a... In a light tonight in one of the houses and I was kind of bummed out not bummed out I guess I shouldn't say that let me, let me take that back I was disappointed that there wasn't more kids showed up at our house that the house not our house but the house we were at because I knew that usually there was and I talked to some other people this morning and they were saying like yeah we had like this number but it seemed like it was down this year and we were trying to figure out why you know is it the flu epidemic everybody's kind of like you know terrified of that maybe don't know is it colder this year than last year yeah it was don't know and then after all that, I'm going like, okay, God, okay. Uh, you know, still at the house we were at, we uh, had about 75, 80 kids show up. You know, not bad for Fondle Farms, but, you know, it's, there's a lot more kids over there than that. Talked some people over in the, uh, Coventry. They had a couple of things over there, you know, 120, 150, you know, kids or whatever. Not bad. And then uh, 
one of the newest believers in our church who lives over, over in uh, Metamora, over in the White Horse Trail, came to me and said, he was jumping up and down. He was baptized last week. And, and I thought it was so cool how God works. And, and he came to me and he said, Brian came to me and he said, he said, uh, said, you won't believe what happened last night. He said, we had 350 kids show up at our house. And I'm going like, do what? I said, how many, how many dozen adults did you have? Me and my wife and some other couple down the church helped out. I'm going, why didn't you call me? I'd love to have been over there. I mean, I, I, I'm glad I was over at the other place. We had like 12 adults, you know, for 80 kids. We had overkill. And, and I'm going, you know, and, and Brian Paul Masano, he, Brian, thank you so much for your, what you said, <laughs> wherever you are out there. But, uh, <laughs> but the thing that was so cool was that, you know, I, I, you, I, you couldn't have, I like to have you'd taken some vaccine from Brian and injected it in you guys because, man, if, if anybody could, you know, was excited about serving, he got joy from serving other people. I'm sure it wasn't easy. He said at one time he had 60 kids in his front yard. I'm going, oh my gosh, that's insanity. But they want to do it again next year, you know? They want to serve in that way, and there's other ways. Let me tell you, folks, you will experience joy in your life when you get your eyes off yourself and focus on others. And let me tell you how to get your put your foot in the water. After the service, we have these booths out here, and you can get your foot in the water by we have we have needs over in the children's area. You know, Dan always has we need more kid, kids workers. We need more nursery workers. We need some pre-K workers. We need people who help with the first step. We need people who help out with creative arts, with small groups. You know, we just have people needs everywhere, always. And that's just a starting place to get your foot in the water and to begin to serve. And God, let me tell you, sometimes it's messy. You ever work with a teenager? I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Let me tell you, it's the greatest joy and the greatest challenge I ever had. Same time, same day. Working with kids, I mean, sometimes it's literally messy over in the nursery. You know what I mean? I have a grandchild, so I know exactly what it is. You know, I mean, the thing is, is that there, there is a need. But the thing is, is when you do that, it's incre- you know, one of the most incredible things. Let me tell you last week who was most excited about baptisms of those kids. Not only the parents, but the people who work with those kids. Who helped them see their, take their next step towards God. There is nothing more joyful than serving God. I challenge you not to leave here without taking some next step, about thinking about it. If you're already involved in ministry, is there some other area? Maybe I need to take a step even further than where I'm doing, make a deeper commitment in regard to that. If you've never made a commitment in regard to you know, stepping into some ministry, test, test the waters. Test the waters. Just talk to some of these people. See, we believe here at Great Oaks that you can try something, and if it doesn't work, it's all right. We call it you know, success by failure. We believe that to succeed sometimes, you've got to fail sometimes too. And that's all right. But don't be afraid to try. Don't be afraid to try because, you know, God can use you. If you want to join the Christian life, we believe that God wants all of us not just to go through the motions, not just to come here on Sunday mornings and sit in rows and hear me talk, sing songs and clap. He wants us also to serve, and that's where our joy comes in. So I'm going to pray. We're going to have a closing song. And then uh, you have an opportunity to connect with these people that are around here. And I challenge you to get as excited as Brian is. <laughs> I, I, Brian didn't know I was going to do that. He's going to kill me afterwards, but that's all right. 
He's going to hug me probably too. No, that's all right, Brad. Appreciate it so much. What's your testimony? He encouraged me this morning so much to hear that. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.